Welcome to Ink and Magic, a podcast where we read and discuss the writing craft, world building, and romance of paranormal and fantasy novels. If you love books with bite, set in worlds of magic and mayhem, then you're in the right place. My name's Nikisha Shanae. I go by an S. And I'm Leslie. I write as Elle Penelope. And welcome to the show. Hey, Leslie, we're back at it. Back for book two in the Side Changeling series, Visions of Heat. Super excited about this one. Yes. I, again, this is like a, a read after a little over a decade. And I remember Faith. I don't really remember Vaughn. Right. Yes. I remember Faith Nightstar. I remember the red hair, mm-hmm. like flaming red hair mm-hmm. and her being, you know, ensconced in this, whatever, this building, this compound that she was in. But um, not much of the story. So let's do like a quick <laughs> recap. What? That doesn't mean anything about whether we like or dislike any of these stories. No, from, from 10 years ago or 20 years. Ago. When was years. it? It was longer than 10 no. years. I yeah, feel like I, I was reading like this early in 2000s. 2008. Sorry. Yeah, I think I think this this one came out was it around 2009? Well, it's book 2. I, I'm assuming she was a book a year. I, I didn't look it up, but I feel mm-hmm. like I was reading this um in 2008. I remember where I lived at the time oh. in 2007-2008. So, it's and I don't know. I know I've read the first book multiple times, and I don't think that I've read the rest of them that many times. So, this will be longer 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah and I don't remember anything from day to day so remembering the first 15 years on this is impossible who does but the basic outline of the story you know we've got faith who is a f psi a future seeing psi that's not what they call it though right um it's it f-psi. Is, I think it is for f for future f for future I thought there was a different word for it and so the f psi are the yeah. most mentally unstable you know they have the highest prevalence of going clinically insane. She uses the term clinically insane a lot, which I'm not sure is a, it's a thing that we do now. But anyway, they have a high incidence of mental illness. And so they're kept far away from other people. They're isolated and they are used by the business end of the, the side, the corporations to forecast corporate things and make lots you, of it money. It might be forecast. It might not be future. It might You're be right. Future. It, it didn't, it didn't, future didn't sound like the right word. <laughs> Whatever it was, but that's but right there. What you said, I want to interrupt you for just a second. What you uh, about forecasting for business because that's not what they were originally doing. They were forecasting life, almost like fortune tellers, but like for real. Yeah, and it came up in the in the first book, you know, with a serial killer. Like they could have seen, they could have stopped murderers, they could have stopped criminal, you know, criminals from harming people. And after silence, they sort of pulled back from the rest of society and the other races. And now they're only doing it for business reasons, for money. And Faith knows that she's worth billions of dollars because she's one of the best. And yeah, this is her life. And so then we have Vaughn, our Jaguar shifter, who was adopted into the the pack of leopards and after another horrific tragedy with his family. And he senses her. He like senses her. He he sniffs her out sort of. And (laughs) she's ready to, you know, she feels, again, it's very similar to Sasha and Lucas, both of their sort of internal issues. She's afraid she's going crazy and that she's going to be not put down, not um, rehabilitated because she's too powerful, but farmed out for parts, like something even worse. And, you know, he has this familial tragedy in in his background too. So there's a lot of parallels. What really interested me, because I love a meet cute, I love watching how authors choose to do their meet cutes. Was she, I, Nalini saying she kind of delayed it 
she delayed mm-hmm. the NICU. It was it was like almost like sniffing it out, like like you're saying. Like not only did Vaughn sniff her out because Faith lives on the edge of Dark River territory, right? Her her compound. She's never been um, outside of her compound, or rarely has ever been outside of her compound, even outside of her the home that she lives in by herself, and she's guarded. But mm-hmm. she senses she's being watched as well. And Vaughn is sensing that something is going on really close to our property, but they neither one of them make a move towards it in the first couple of chapters. And I love that anticipation of it's going to happen. It's going to happen. They're going to bump into each other. I love that building anticipation. Yeah, like the, it was the progression, the hook is so strong. We're, we're both hooked. And then there's also early on that competence porn that we talked about in the episode for book one, Faith, you know, she has taught herself all these skills. She can climb the fence. You know, she's been preparing for this. She's had these visions that she didn't really know what she was preparing for, but she's ready. And so when she feels herself, I guess she feels her mind sort of, you know, going and she, she's afraid of her future. And she knows that Sasha Duncan got out of the sign up and she knows Sasha Duncan is someplace close by. So she needs to talk to her. And she's- But before we get out of the compound, let's okay. stay in there for just a second, because one of the things that I notice is that when Faith is being described, when she's describing herself and when Nalini's voice is coming through, because Faith is, she's she's in a chair and that's how she's doing her work. She's in this really comfortable ergonomic chair for hours at a time. She forgets to eat. She can sleep in her chair. And I'm like, she's a gamer. <laughs> Not really, also- but- yeah, it's. It, I mean, it is. There's a lot of similarities, and she uh, it, it monitors her, all of her vital signs, and so they can tell what her heart rate and all of her emotions and it was things so like that. intrusive. Yes, if she fell, somebody was online. Like what? What, what happened? happened? Because yeah. she's so that, va- and it wasn't just that. Oh my gosh, poor Faith. No, it's our our commodity, our investment could be damage. Our investment right could be damaged. We need to figure out. What's happening? So they would have to tell her, they would be monitoring her her intake and they would have to tell her, hey, you have not eaten enough. And and once again, food is pleasure. Like Faith is just, she's just consuming the correct amount of calories and that's all she's caring about. And I mean, actually, I think it's kind of relatable. Like when I'm writing or coding or something like focused in, I don't eat. Like It would be nice to have someone like bump in and be like, hey, you need to eat some food. Here's some food. I'm like, okay, great. (laughs) An omnipotent voice. I'm like, Leslie, your your carbs are low. It's time (laughs) to refuel. Yes. Um, so right. So Faith is living inside this compound by herself, but she is completely monitored and she is also guarded as well. So not only does it start there with her in this compound guarded and watched the first thing that we learn externally about faith or or a plot point about faith is Mm -hmm. that her sister was murdered. Right. Yes. And she has, she actually feels it. Like she doesn't know that she's feeling that moment, you know, as part of her future seeing power, but she realizes very quickly that that was actually the moment that her sister died. And she wasn't close to her sister. She'd only ever seen her a couple of times, but she, even though she's Psy and even though she considers herself herself a proper Psy, she was monitoring her sister's progress, you know, through the, the net and felt some sort of familial connection to her, even though they were kept apart and they don't have these emotional family relationships as we know them. Yeah. yeah. So when when this starts when this starts to happen to Faith and she feels almost she feels almost possessed by it mm-hmm. again yeah. through through 
not necessarily through dreams, but through her visions. She feels she feels what is going on in the killer's mind. She feels him stalking people. She feels him actually commit the murder. And she thinks something is wrong with me. And I know, like Leslie said, I know that if I tell, yeah. I could be farmed for parts. So she makes the decision, knowing the, about Sasha, she makes a decision to climb over her gated enclosure. And who yeah. does she meet, Leslie? And then she meets the hero. This is a, a meet cute for the ages, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, she steals a car. She she climbs a fence, steals a car. Like the competence porn is great. I'm like, she has been training, <laughs> even though she's not a physical you know, force. She seems very tiny. She's described as being very small. But um, there's a car out there. She steals it. And then, of course, there's a jaguar in the road. <laughs> Stop her. Because Vaughn is like, what's, what's happening? What are you doing? Because, again, he senses that something is about to happen. Um, what I found interesting with, because Vaughn stays in his shifter form for a long while, Faith knows that this is a shifter. She, she, she gets that, but he's not showing himself to her. Um, what was interesting is um, Vaughn takes her watch and I loved how possessive he was just <laughs> over the watch as he yeah. takes the watch back because they're very close. Um, Faith's compound is very close to Dark River territory. And he's like, yeah, you're not, you're not coming on Dark River territory. I don't know who you are. You're still linked into the net. So he takes her watch and he goes and takes it to uh, Sasha and Lucas to try and figure out like what's going on here. Right. Cause, cause um, she, you know, she had said, I need to talk to Sasha. And it's like, that's his, his alpha's mate. You know, no one gets, we have to see what Lucas has to say about this. And he has to hand over the watch to other people. And he's like, <laughs> when they have it, he's like, until he gets it back and he keeps it. So they have literally just met and he's already, the feelings are there in that those moments, which is always like one of the delicious things about the romance is like seeing the, then before they even know what's happening, we see what's happening. It starts to plant this uh, this this thing that keeps happening, this particular theme that keeps happening in this story of who, where do your loyalties really lie? Mm. Do they lie with your pack? Or do they lie with your mate? And, or your corporation, your family mm -hmm. group on the side. Yeah, you know, all side, or... of that. Yes, you are right. But if we remember from the first book, Vaughn was the most standoffish to Sasha. He was like, no, I do not want you in my head. You need to show me how to block. And all mm. this stuff, because he doesn't want to be too close to anybody because of his tragic past, which we'll get to in a bit. But I, I thought that that, be, that was interesting, that it already starts right there. He does not want anybody else to touch that watch because he's possessive over it. And from the from their first meeting, you know, he shifts into human, but out of her sight. So she doesn't even see his face for chapters, I think. And But he's already encroaching on her space. He's like touching her a lot and um it's very intense he's very captivated and so yeah it starts so soon and even i don't think he knows you know what what he's what he's feeling what he's doing and vaughn also is the one who's the most close to his animal i think mm -hmm. they say that so because of what happened when he was a kid he had to stay shifted for a long time his animal is very close to the front. He sort of has his hair and his eyes are very, in it, while he's in human form, very sort of close to his animal. Yeah. And the animal immediately wants her, <laughs> wants to sniff her, wants to touch her. And he does. So when, he's, when he does shift, he starts to immediately touch her. And Faith, mm -hmm. this book becomes a lot about boundaries, a lot about consent. Yes. And, and in a very early 2000s. 
early aughts, I guess, kind of way. <laughs> one and one of the first things that Faith says is, "I can't process that much touch." When he is behind her, she still hasn't seen him, and he's holding on to her. And she says, I can't process that much touch. And she keeps warning him, like, this is not normal for me. This is not good behavior for me. This is a problem for me. And <laughs> like, then she literally passes me. out. Yeah. <laughs> she's yes. overwhelmed to the point where he doesn't back off and she literally passes out. And he, he by him, him just touching her face. So do you want to talk about consent now? <laughs> I do. Let's talk. Let's because it's, it's this book. This is the whole fun and games. You know, I love me some fun and games. I love to talk about the fun and games, the falling in love moments. It's all about touch. But the interesting thing is that it's it's not always consensual touch. And but at the same time, Nalini Singh does this thing where I don't know how she did it. I'm still with my analytical brain. I'm still trying to break it down. And I can't really figure out the process of how she did this. But Faith is saying no. Maybe right. this is, again, we were talking about body strippers. Maybe this is a callback to the body strippers because Faith is saying no. He's just touching her. He's touching mm -hmm. her face. He's His hand is on her skin. He's not doing anything inappropriate, but he's touching her and she's saying no because I can't process this. Right. And slowly, very slowly, she comes to, the, basically the touch starts to bring her out. It starts right. to heal her from the, the, the dregs of the Sinet. So it works. And he knows it. He intuits that this is what she needs. And he says that. And to a modern sensibility, it's like, ah, no. You, how does he know what she needs? But he's right. And there's no way that she would have gotten out without the touch, without him forcing her to build up a tolerance to it, knowing that it was wrong, that it's wrong, that humans need touch. And if she has any hope of getting out of her circumstance, he needs to do it. So it's but she, like. But she does keep passing out. She does have adverse reactions. She and does. He, he has that whole alpha thing where he's like, I know what's best. Yes. And I love that Nalini Singh, she doesn't immediately prove that he knows best because he's wrong a lot of the times. His touch does overwhelm her. His touch does backfire a bit for a time, but it moves closer and closer slowly to it being the thing that heals her. And I mean, I he is right, actually. Like, he's absolutely right because literally she wouldn't have gotten out and so it, it's we make a lot about consent and the, you know the bodice rippers it, it connects directly I think to what you were talking about the bodice rippers because mm -hmm. they have to be forced into pleasure right and that was it is something that makes no sense to a modern audience and is you know like viscerally off like we do not like that yeah. and it reminded me of the movie Rocky which oh, God. I rewatched a couple of months ago and it's horrifying, you know, it's basically like he, you know, Rocky and um, Adrian go on a date and she likes him and he kind of browbeats her into coming to his apartment and then he browbeats her into having sex with him essentially. And then she's in love and she has a better life. Yeah. And it was just like, he forces her, which is a total lack of consent into something she would never have done, but something that makes her happy. Here's and the thing. Here's the thing about that. Did, this wasn't the first time you watched Rocky, was it? It was the first time I remember. It was not the first time I watched it, but in I my don't memory, I don't remember that either. When I was younger and I watched that movie, I do not remember him browbeating or coercing her, yeah. which is fascinating because I remember telling my son who was into boxing when he was younger and he was, and I was like, oh, you should watch Rocky. <laughs> this kid, I think he was like maybe 
13 or 14 at the time, I remember him coming out of his room, <laughs> looking at me like I was the crazy one. My, my kids decided at one point not to stop calling me mommy and call me mother, and I'm still not over it. He was like, <laughs> mother, what is this that you're having me watch? She's saying no. He's not listening to you. He was so scandalizing. Part of me was proud, but I couldn't remember right. any of it. <laughs> Well, just like people who, who grew up reading the bodice rippers do not remember any, like, they don't see it as assault. They don't see it as rape. It was just, that was the way the book was. And our memories fill in the gaps because at the end of it, it all ends up well. It and it's it's well. such a tension. It's such a d difficult tension there because, you know, what do you do with that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's almost like this book is a time capsule. I really feel like this was bridging a lot of gaps between those between those times because again, so many of us grew up reading. I didn't grow up reading the Body Strippers, but I grew up reading those Harlequins where, where consent was really tricky and it wasn't mm -hmm. always there, wasn't always vocal. If the guy said, hey, come on, the woman went along or she was pulled along and they, it ended up happily. So we didn't think that there was a problem with it. And it reflected society because mm -hmm. I think there's, you know, the puritanical values where it's like, oh, the woman, you know, she wants to get married and have kids, but she can't have sex until she's married. And, and it's like, <laughs> how do you know who to marry? And then, you know, so I think it bodice rippers probably represent the culture of the people writing and the people editing to a certain degree. They did. They did. And it's, it's, it's complicated. Because if that's their experience, right? Like, what does that, what do we do with real people, real human beings experience that we find abhorrent right now? True. So Vaughn did have this air quotes, unacceptable behavior of constantly touching her, of being in her bedroom without her consent. I'm coming back to that. His <laughs> cat was very much into, she is ours. Why aren't we taking her? And he starts, it became interesting because he seduces her on the physical level, but he also seduces her on the psychic level as well. So I thought that all of that was fast, was fascinating. But another sign of the times, this, again, these books were uh, 2000 somethings, right? Mm -hmm. Another thing that really interested me was Vaughn, in, in Sasha and Lucas's book, we had the whole dream lover trope. Right. In this book, we have Vaughn coming in to her, sneaking into her compound unnoticed by her guards and watching her sleep. Hello, Edward Cullen. <laughs> it's a trope for a reason. People, I think when I first read Twilight, it didn't bother me. Like it was, oh, that's so romantic. <laughs> and I don't know that people reading this book in 2008 or whatever would have had a problem with it. And Faith, she, she nominally has a problem with it. And then she's like, okay, fine, whatever. It's cool. But do we, I'm wondering, like, yes, I'm judging all of us, myself included. Because yeah, <laughs> I'm not mad at it. I'm just pointing it out. But do we really have that fantasy of men watching us sleep? Well, there is, okay, there's there's layers to fantasy. Like, we don't <laughs> want it in real life. True. You know, we wake up and there's a man in our bedroom in real life. <laughs> we are screaming and, and <laughs> calling the police, I hope. But, you know, if it's like, oh, he wants you so much and he's so drawn to you, it's part of that fantasy that is part of all of these books. And it's it's why... Things that happen in books when they happen in real life, consent included, are different, yeah. you know, and we have different standards for our fiction than our our lives. I think it's because there's the guarantee. Like in real life, there is no guarantee. Right. Yes. So we if you're going go, in we'll knowing. Lots of pages. Yeah. yeah. We read through lots of pages, watching this stuff happen, some crazy bonkers stuff happen, but we, we deal with it because we know we're going to get what 
we feel like we deserve. The character's going to get what they deserve and we're going to get what we deserve. So, And we know the hero is good. You know, we know mm-hmm. it's a hero who's watching her sleep. Fair. It's not a creepy stalker or serial killer watching her sleep. It's the man who is the, the hero of the novel. And it, whatever yeah. he does, whether it's not listen when she says no or sneak into her bedroom. That's so interesting. I want to talk about that for a second because I was reading a book that shall remain nameless. <laughs> I was reading, I've been reading a series and it's it's a spinoff of a spinoff of a spinoff. And I love the earlier books. And in the earlier books, they're, they're, yes, the men were alpha. This was, of course, these were more shifter books. The men were alpha, um, alpha bears. If that gives Leslie a clue because she knows my reading uh, habits. But, and they were wonderful. And you just saw that, yeah, these are going to make great partners. Mm-hmm. And this, the series that I'm reading now are spinoffs or excuse me, they're second generation. So they're the okay. sons. Yeah. And these guys are all buttholes. <laughs> oh no. They, I would feel, I felt, I felt so upset. Like this is what you, what your loins, the, these are the fruit of your loins. These guys are awful. <laughs> they're slackers. They're, they're not listening. Again, they're not listening to the hand. So I, I'm saying all this to say that I think that you can do it wrong. Singh mm-hmm. didn't do it wrong. And I'm trying to figure mm-hmm. out what, again, you know, I'm always trying to figure out what is, what's the process? What's the rules? What are the guidelines? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I don't have it yet. Well, heroism. Like think about what, what is a heroic character? They can't be a slacker. They have to have a work ethic. They have to be noble. You know, they have to be protective. These are the heroes that we want to read about. So if, if you're writing a character who maybe has certain qualities, but not all of them or not in the right quantities, then they're not going to feel like mm-hmm. a hero. And what they do is going to seem creepy or weird, yeah. or we're not going to be on board for the same behavior that had the hero been, you know, super protective and just super loyal with a code. You know, we can read and we do read about hitmen from the mafia yep. and their heroes they have because- a a code exactly so perhaps that's where the author fell yeah, down I think that series. is where the author messed up because they were very protective of the heroine even though they were awful to her for all the guys were awful to the heroines at first because they were like well we're we don't know what we're doing we're douches we we were told that we were bad seeds and so we're going to behave like we're bad seeds and they eventually start to to treat the heroines better but mm-hmm. you're right i think i think i put my finger on it and, and i can bring it back to visions of heat in the, in the series that I'm reading right now, and I'm still reading because I'm like loyal to their parents. <laughs> I'm loyal to them. I'm loyal to their parents. But they the the young men in this in the series, they were trying to figure out their own pack. Like the three of them were a pack, but they were not they were not kind to each other. And I think that's what bothered me. In in this pack, in the Dark River pack. Yeah, there's 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 jockeying going on. We 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 see Kit again. And Kit is like, yeah, well, I've got I'm the alpha. And the, the Kit and the younger uh, and the younger um adolescents they yeah. um they start up some trouble and then they let they let it slip. Like, yeah, he's 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 our alpha. And Vaughn, I can't remember who else. And Dorian. Thank you. And Dorian, we're like, no. Are you are you about to chart? Are you about to challenge Lucas? Because there's only one. There's only one alpha. There's only one pack. And the guys, they weren't realizing it and because they were so young. They didn't right. think about it. They were just going out having some fun. And they didn't think about the consequences of their actions. And in the book that I'm currently reading, they're, they're not thinking about the consequences of their action and they don't correct themselves. That's what I don't like. And nobody checks them. Yeah, Nobody's che- Nobody all- checks them. Because here, like Vaughn and Dorian and the rest of the Sentinels check them hard. And it's like, we need to make sure we nip this in the bud now because we are loyal. We are protective of each other. This is family. This is pack. We don't treat each other like this. Yeah. 
to the values. It goes back to the values. And I think that goes back to the theme of, of the books, of what, you know, the Nalini Singh's books, especially. We're always talking about found family. We're always talking about, um, yeah, supporting each other. Mm-hmm. And that weaves into the, the heroine and her values and the hero and his values and how they are able to come together. Excellent point. To bring it back to Vaughn being in her bedroom while she's sleeping. <laughs> Faith wakes up from a nightmare. And the way that Vaughn tries to calm her down is he threatens to kiss her. And that snaps her out of it. <laughs> hugs and kisses become hugs and kisses become weapons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the nightmare is one that's, you know, when she's drawn into the killer's mind, it's another serial killer. He killed her sister. He's going to kill someone else. And she's actually being drawn into his mind and she can't get out. And so she needs something like a, otherwise, you know, there could be like a slap in the face, like, you know, get yourself together. This is a kiss. Which one is is more of a weapon? (laughs) (laughs) Um, That becomes interesting though, because we, we start this series with silence. We start Mm -hmm. with the rules of silence and we start with silence was put forth to try to, to get rid of all the emotions, to stop the killings. And mm-hmm. it hasn't. Yes. There's another Psy killer in this book. And we know from the first book, there's like at least 50 more active that the council has been hiding. So yeah, this is going to be a theme coming throughout that the silence was a failure. I mean, maybe it reduced the number of serial killers. We don't really know the details, but it hasn't eliminated them. And yeah, this one is is pretty awful. Yeah. But Vaughn sees it. He's able to see the shadow around faith of this person. Yeah. And it's interesting that it manifests itself visually. I don't know what that means in terms of the world building, you know, because she's very clear about certain things, you know, the the, the signet, it's mental and we get great images of, you know, she visualizes a mental construct very well. But in this case, it's this kind of mysterious thing where Vaughn can see a literal shadow, which represents this horrible serial killer who's drawing in faith. And, you know, I don't remember from the rest of the series if that comes back in other ways. It's sort of an anomaly in terms of the world building and how, what is he seeing? What is this physical manifestation? However, so she wakes up, he's there, he threatens to kiss her, she calms down. And then in the (laughs) morning, there's so much, there's all this domestic porn, which is a thing that I'm learning that readers nowadays really like. There is, she's making, um, oh, he's making coffee for her. He's making eggs. And again, just like Sasha with the the chocolate chip cookies, this is a, this is a new experience for her because this, does coffee have any, coffee drinkers don't at me, but does <laughs> coffee have any nutritional value? Just the caffeine. <laughs> I haven't heard the term domestic porn, I don't think, but. Yeah, it's, you're finding it a lot. I was talking with, um, I've been doing a lot of academic romance studying and I was talking with this professor of romance and she was saying she's finding it a lot in young adult, especially young adult, new, new, uh, young, young adult and new adult reverse harem where they like to watch. They will study, the kids will study together. And yes, there's such a thing as young adult and new adult reverse harem where it's, it's clean. And you won't get a kiss for like books and books and books, oh. but they're studying together. They're cleaning the house together. They're doing wow. all this domestic stuff and, and the readers are eating it up. Wow. Okay. Hmm. I mean, I noticed that there's always a cooking or cleaning scene in my books. The man is will at some point clean up the house or cook. And that's when she knows she's in love. See, I don't so think my characters 
they don't generally eat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not like a food person. I'm the type of person who, if they gave me a nutritional pill and to, you know, and I didn't have to eat ever again, I would be perfectly happy. So yeah, you're not going to get a lot of, a lot of food. (laughs) But I do appreciate other people who are very food oriented and it's a part of the mating dance, right? Like cooking for your That is totally my mating dance. (laughs) You either make me food or you clean my house. I will follow you to the ends of the earth. Washing hair, washing my hair, that is a thing that takes the place of cooking food because that is interesting. Yeah. Things, yeah, like things that you just don't want to do. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so we have that. We have Vaughn taking care of her Mm -hmm. in a way that she's been cared for nominally. She's been fed, you know, nutrition and protected, but not in this way. And the conflict kind of their their conflict comes about because she really can't stand the touch and he needs it. And that becomes more important as we go through almost to a a point that approaches absurdity in my mind, because, to the you know, it's like he actually has to have sex with her. Or he's going to, like, lose it, which <laughs> feels weird. Honestly, just it, it's a little bit weird for me. But still, it's it's showing the the physical, the touch again, the touch sense being extremely heightened, but it actually creates the physical. I mean, the emotional bonds, their sensuality is foundational for their relationship for so many reasons. But look at where it came from. Look at Vaughn's wound. Hmm. Where if we now's a good time to talk about um, the same way. Remember, we were talking last week about a lot of times with an alpha, the one of the reasons that he's so possessive and so protective is because of a wound from his past, some type of traumatic past. And just like Lucas, Vaughn also has a traumatic past. It's really sad. His parents, um, who were jaguars, joined a commune of both jaguars, of both shifters and humans. Yeah, there were humans in it as well, mm-hmm. and like a cult. It was it was a cult. And even at a young age, Vaughn could see it. He could see some members looking at his little sister in a way he was like, no, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. And so he started to rebel rouse in the the commune with other talking to other kids, like, don't let them, don't be by yourself. Um, and the commune, the cult, the leaders told his parents, Your kids are problems. You want to prove yourself to us? Get rid of them. And these parents take the take their son. I think they were like maybe ten. They were really yeah. young. And the sister's like seven or something like yeah, that. Very, yeah, very, very young. Take them out into the woods, and, and Vaughn is happy. He thinks that they're finally leaving the cult. Yeah. But they leave that little girl and Vaughn in the woods by themselves. Right. And the sister does not last but five days. Yeah, she starves. It sounds like she starves to death. Like he was trying to feed her. She he pretty much gives his- up. Yeah. And and then, you know, eventually the mother tries to come back, but then the father's like, no, and they have a murder-suicide. It's just awful. It's a horrific the, situation. The, the even worse part of that is that pretty soon Vaughn, um, Dark River Sentinels find Vaughn. Mm-hmm. He was so close to the Dark River territory that if they had just brought him a few more miles in, they would have been fine. Oh, right. that. But to bring it back around to touch, that's how they healed him. They basically mm-hmm. smothered him mm-hmm. with touch. And that's how he began to heal. And so I think that probably led him to need touch more than your average shifter would. So when he falls in love with someone who really can't touch him or and she keeps passing out, that is a huge <laughs> conflict. <laughs> and it's interesting that face wound 
is what we usually see from the alpha. It's like, I couldn't protect my sister. It becomes, mm -hmm. I had this vision. I should have been able to stop this. I need to stop this. I can't. I should have been able to protect her. Yeah. And that really motivates her to to keep trying in the face of the danger that she's that she's in. Yeah. Because her shield, she does feel like, it's funny because she does feel like her shields are breaking. She thinks that this serial killer is, is getting into her because there's something breaking in her. There's something wrong with her. Just like Sasha thought that there was something wrong with mm -hmm. her. Um, so there's at some point where the touch is getting too much for Faith and she slaps him. <laughs> and she's she's thinking again that it's still her fault that this is happening. She's thinking, I just hurt somebody and because I'm having a mental breakdown. This is why I did it. And I thought that that was all, because again, Sasha was like, oh no, I'm feeling, I'm feeling something's wrong with me. Mm, yeah. And yeah, Vaughn's not really upset about the slap at all. He's like, no. oh, <laughs> I, I deserve that. <laughs> I need but a strong mate. But mating is a compulsion to him and he's really mm -hmm. not giving her a choice about it. But at the same time, he's panicking and anxious because she isn't, she's not shifter. Right. She's she's not changeling. So the bond isn't the same. Like if she rejects him, that's it. Because they only mate once, they mate yeah. for life. Yeah. So we get our faded mates trope that people mm -hmm. love so much. You get the, you know, that part of the the knowing how it's going to end, but it is it is pretty bumpy. Mm-hmm. So it, it then also becomes because faith, remember, is still into the is still um tacked into the net. And not only that. The council is looking at her because remember, a council member died in the last book. <laughs> courtesy of shifters. Courtesy of shifters. And the council needs to fill that seat. And they are looking at Faith and they're looking at another person, Caleb. The Ooh. introduction of Caleb Krychak yes. to the series. Yes, who becomes very important later. We will get to that. Right. But so Faith is, is being looked at by the council. The council is coming to visit her and, and, and trying to suss her out. And at the same time, Vaughn is trying, still trying to suss her out too, even though he knows that this is my mate. And at a certain point, she is connected to him. The bond, the mating bond is there at the same time as that she's still in the Sinet. And that becomes, you know, a potential problem. Mm -hmm. And she still doesn't, I don't think they, they don't trust her enough to reveal to her how she can exist outside of the Sinet. So we she doesn't know about the love of stars. But so, um, there's a lot of, go on. So she has to choose between the net because that's her family that's the only world she's known she has to choose between the net and vaughn but vaughn is also having to choose between his pack because his pack mm -hmm. is like she's not coming up in here if she's still connected to the right. side net so he's having to make these these choices and it became really interesting to me to watch like what's gonna win out here what is actual what is the actual dynamic what is the actual hierarchy is it gonna be pack first is it going to be mate first? Yeah. And I mean, and it's always really, it's both, but it's mate first. Mm -hmm. and, and the pack understands that, you know, once they really get that, oh, this is his mate, then it's like, okay, things shift and change for them. And they have to accommodate that, but you have to figure out how they can help Faith and stop the, you know, ultimately stop the killer that's encroaching on her mind. Yes. And Faith talks about, so Vaughn is, at some point Vaughn is like, that's my mate. It's going to be mate first. But for Faith, it's not that easy because she, again, she doesn't know anything outside of this, the Sinet. And, you know, Sasha has a job now outside of the Sinet. And Faith's kind of like, well, what am I going to do? Like, what would I be if there was even a, a chance for me to come out of this? And she starts to talk about 
if she was to leave, if she was to basically defect, like remember during the Cold War when Russians would defect, if she was going to defect, she's she's thinking of herself as an economy. She's thinking, well, what would happen to the guards? What would happen to the people, right. the M side, who who the medical side who watch over her? She's gonna what will happen to those businesses? She's not even thinking about herself. She's thinking about all these other people that she's gonna let down and lose jobs if she decides to leave and save herself. Right. Because they, I mean, the economy is based in, in her family corporation. It's based on her as the, you know, the future seer. So it's just more, that's heroin behavior, right? It's to mm-hmm. be concerned about others more than yourself. Yeah. And so that's part of the the values that we, that we love in these books. Another thing that becomes interesting too, which, which starts to make you root for her to not leave the net, is she starts to talk to the net mind. Yes, mm-hmm. that was to be introduced. That well, we 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 learned about the net mind in the first book, but we see that she can communicate with this net mind. We we know it's some sort of entity that is. How would you describe it? It's like Artificial intelligence, I guess. Yeah, the AI that manages the Cynet, and she sees it as very childlike, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like an ancient child. So mm-hmm. it doesn't speak in words; it speaks in images and feelings, but it knows her, and it's been protecting her. And then she learns that there's not just the net mind, that because of silence, it's split, it's been split into the dark mind and the net mind. And, uh, the, you know, it shows her the two versions of itself, um, or it's, I guess, a twin, you know, like the evil, the evil yeah. twin version of the AI. Yeah. And that just goes back to reinforce the theme of family. You know, it's, it's the silence caused this harm to this you know, bene- benevolent AI, I guess, or benevolent mm-hmm. creature. It's a sentience that, you know, knows about all of the, the quote unquote broken side, the people who are waking up from mm-hmm. silence and is actively protecting yes. them. Yes. And that's really awesome. So it's showing her the rot, but yes. at the same, t- but in the same token, it's, we're also starting to see the seeds of rebellion being planted in this book. Right. Yeah. Because Faith goes into the net and there's a lot of like internet language with her, you know, firewalls and the way that, like I said before, she, Nalini Singh visually shows us uh, a very abstract concept of this mental, you know, network of, I guess, probably millions of Psy. But Faith is looking for information and it shows, we saw how Sasha snuck around in it. And then we see how Faith can sneak around mm-hmm. and, you know, um, overhear chat rooms about people, mm-hmm. you know, wondering what happened to Enrique, why did mm-hmm. he go, what's going on, people being dissatisfied. So we are in this book building the the lore of the series, building the conflict that's going to take 15 books or so to, <laughs> <laughs> to come to a head. Um and yeah, that, that layering, it's done really elegantly, I think, for the most part. The layering of the expansion of the world, the seeds of rebellion, realizing, okay, we know Sasha, we know Faith, there's got to be other people waking up, other people who are impossible, like designations that don't exist. Um, when we get to Faith's father, you know, that's also, mm. you know, comes comes into play. Yeah. So can we talk about the, the love scene now? Yes. <laughs> Have we not? How have we not? We haven't. We've talked so much about the touch because there was so much touching going on. And she was like, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then finally, they do the deed. And it takes a little while. It's it's a little later in the book. But so Vaughn is like, tie me down because I'm, because he's nervous that he's going to be too rough with her. There's so much negotiation in this sex scene. I was like, 
They have to negotiate for her to run away if he loses control and run, keep running. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so intense. Yes, but it made it okay because there was so much where he was pushing her at first. And now he's like, okay, now, now you, now here comes the negotiation. But not only that, so we're not, we're not going to get too explicit, but they do the deed. She has a big happy ending and she passes out and <laughs> surprise, surprise. Her shields are down. She's free. Mm. Is that when she get, gets out of the sign? That she doesn't leave. No, she doesn't. She doesn't leave yet. But her shields, the things like we've been talking, like internet and how people can hack each other mm. and how you have to always like have like your shields firewall. up. Yeah, it's they they're they're broken. They're gone. Yeah, yeah, and. I mean, I think it proves, in a way, it proves Vaughn right. It's dangerous for her to have no, to have no shields like that. But we know that the net mind is protecting her also. Yes, it so, is. it goes back to Vaughn being like, "This is what you need to be, to break free and actually being right." Mm -hmm. He was he was right. He was right. He he was I, right, and it, he, as he was being wrong, he, as was, he was being wrong. He was right. <laughs> and once again, the sex is beautifully described. It's not. It's very sensual. I, I didn't think it was like hot. But it was mm -hmm. just gloriously described and just poetic. It was what it needs to be. I hear people, both readers and authors alike, talking about, one, I hear readers talking about how they'll skip over sex scenes. And then I also hear authors talking about, how do you write so many sex scenes? And I'm thinking, if your sex scene is not character development, which this mm -hmm. sex scene was, Absolutely. which Sasha and all of Sasha and yes. Lucas's dream sequences and their actual touching, those were all character development if your sex scene isn't character development and the characters don't grow during before or after it then yeah i'm gonna skip over it because there's no reason for me to read insert slot tab a into slot b right yeah i mean we're not talking about erotica or anything but like in a romance it needs to be relevant to them it has to change them it's like every other scene in a book someone needs to change so during mm -hmm. the sex scene there has to be some sort of growth and change and arcing happening and it can and be negative it it could be it could be, as we saw when he touched, when he was touching Faith and she was reverting, she was regressing. And mm -hmm. now, and, and it took him two steps forward, three steps back to get <laughs> closer. And now he's there and now they are growing together. Because again, look at what happens when you negotiate consent. Yes, this is a, this is a good yes. counterpoint yes. to, yes, the consent, all of that negotiation about run away fast if I lose control. <laughs> worked out to the benefit because that's that's why you know we've moved towards a consent culture thankfully thankfully um yeah and if this book had been written today it would be interesting to see how how yeah. the same things would have been explored in I, a different way i can't wait to see what she is doing today um because again yeah. leslie and i fell off and we're very excited to reread and then to catch up with everybody else who's still on the bandwagon like where y'all been <laughs> right so many books to read <laughs> But okay, so we get through that. I did want to mention, I want to mention the Cassandra spiral. Oh, yeah. It's another sort of pansery thing that is introduced <laughs> in this sex scene. And honestly, it lost me a little bit. I'm like, what is this? We've never heard of this before. It's another, it just kind of drops in and she has some kind of spiral. And I was just like, it's very abstract. So if it had been seated a little earlier, then maybe it would have kept me. But I just was like, my eyes glazed. I was listening to the audiobook and then I started glazing. I'm like, I realized I wasn't paying attention anymore and I had to rewind and go back. I'm like, okay, I'm focused now. Um, that was my only quibble. 
I hear you. We are all for seating. We are all for making it look like you meant to do it the first time. Yes. What you can do, just go back and put it in later. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't know. Most of us don't know what's happening. And we just, we, before we turn it in, we go back and pretend that we knew the whole time. Exactly. So the emotion and the touching and the sexing are all really huge in this book. And then there's still this whole little subplot of, you know, a serial killer, right? That we have to deal with. Right. The secondary concern of Ms. Nalini saying is the actual plot, which I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's great. It's, it works so well. Um, and then we introduce, well, we've met Judd in the first book. Mm -hmm. He comes for the first time in this book late in the game when they're sort of planning, okay, how are we going to take down the serial killer? Because Faith, now open to more of her abilities, can see where this is going to happen. She actually sees the face of the killer. She knows all this information. So the changelings are going, well, first the changelings have to decide, are we going to stop it? There is a discussion about, is this our responsibility? This is a psi problem. A psi is going to murder another psi. Why should we care? And then bringing in, in Judd, uh, from the Lauren family who who lives with the wolves. And and for the first time, well, we, we've had mentions before, but this is the first book we, we learned about the arrows, yes, right? Yes, it is. It is. And the arrows are this sort of mythical group of psi assassins. Faith wasn't even sure they were real. Um, and she realizes that Judd, who is still silent, apparently, even though he's out of the psi net, he's mm -hmm. living with the wolves, he still appears silent. And he was this elite warrior. And he's going to take care of the situation. Yet another secondary character mm -hmm. killing yep. the murderer. Yep. We, so our hero doesn't do it. It's this other person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I'm not mad. I it's don't know unusual. that I could do it, but I'm not mad. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like it's the structure is not what we would come to expect, right? Where the hero, the story question, of, of course, story question is not whether they will capture the serial killer mm -hmm. the story question is whether these two people will get together and how will they make it work yeah. so in that regard because if the story question was are we going to capture the serial killer then one of the, the hero or the heroine needs to do the capturing just by the laws of story structure <laughs> again western commercial fiction right but because that's not the story question then some a third party can come in and you know take the glory quote unquote of of that or yeah, it's not the end of any of their arcs. It's not the answer to any of their stakes. Yes, yes. Their stakes had nothing to do with this. Well, Faith's stake was, I I can't let this happen again. And Faith was involved in it. So True. it does answer hers. True. It wasn't Vaughn's stake. Vaughn didn't care about anything else. His only external plot of the story is being with Faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Which 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 did we were talking a little bit about conflict because you were you were kind of like does this conflict work because it's it's not you you didn't feel like it was enough mm -hmm. but I felt like it was because you know she was in the she was in the synapse she was about to be she was up for counsel she had so much to gain by staying in the synapse but mm -hmm. she was looking at Vaughn she's like well what do I have to gain over here you're gonna keep touching me. <laughs> And then while I'm gonna live in your 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 little den, like what exactly am I gaining here? Right. But she does see that she does gain a lot. And Faith had an arc, an external arc, more so than Vaughn. Like Vaughn's mm -hmm. story is really in support of Faith's. Mm -hmm. And I think in the first book, they were more equal in terms of their external. Um, and it's not necessarily criticism because I still was mm -mm. drawn through mm -mm. this book. And he was just so intense. And so, you know, she needed that that push and that the reason to leave, you know, when she could have been one of the most powerful psi and she's already one of the richest, like mm -hmm. 
it's just interesting that that is how she just chose to structure the story and that it still works. That is very true. I'm thinking about that because even though Vaughn has alpha tendencies, doesn't this make him a beta? I, you know, the, the word beta isn't used in this, in the, in these packs. Mm -mm. He's not, there's only one alpha. So he's, he's not alpha. alpha. He's a sentinel. He's high he's up in the chain. Could he have been the alpha of a Jaguar pack? Maybe. I mean, we don't go into that. We don't know. That. We don't go into that. But I'm saying his devotion to faith. Oh, does that make him goals, beta? Does oh. that make him a beta? Interesting. I don't know. That's a good question. Mm -hmm. She's definitely going to be the breadwinner of the family. Yeah. She's she's kind of like that woman who kind of had what is that song? Shanti's got a man at home. She's oh. totally a Shantae. <laughs> Even though he's out roaming. You know, doing the, Do, the rolling. Does being a sentinel come with a salary? I mean, I assume at some point <laughs> they have to make some money. And they go to the business meeting. So they're employed by the corporation in some yeah. way. But we don't know what job Vaughn has uh, other than being a sentinel and, and patrolling. So maybe he's he does He's an artist. Doesn't. He's an artist. Right. He is a, yes, he's a sculptor, right? We we get a little bit about that. I feel like mm -hmm. there could have been a little more sculpting, but well, yes. Always, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but that's, does he sell the sculptures? We don't know what he even does with them. Or maybe I missed that. He I just makes them. No, I, re I don't remember either. I know he just makes them. I don't know if he sells them or anything. Yeah. So he's a pure huh. artist, artiste. Huh. But him being a beta, because his, he doesn't have external goals of his own. No. He just supports hers. And he that does. is. Which is beautiful. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. part of the, part of the fantasy of the romance of it all. Yes. So they do take care of the, the subplot of the, 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 the serial killer. And we're at the end of the book. And what was interesting here, because the same, Faith does come out of the net. She mm -hmm. joins the Web of Stars. Um, but unlike with Sasha, whose mother just was like, okay, we're done. Right. Faith's father has a bit more care. Yes. He's still silent. But you can also see that... Or is he? He does. There we saw. We see a bit of rebellion within him too. Yeah. So I guess maybe he is still silent, but he might have broken. I, I got the feeling that the hint was he was breaking silence, but still pretending mm -hmm. because he was going to be a part of the rebellion. Because we know that he had this other child. So you know, Faith's sister died. That was his daughter. There's another brother of theirs, theirs living in the Caribbean somewhere who, you know, Faith doesn't, assumes that her father has no idea about, doesn't even know his name. And the father's like, oh no, I, I keep tabs on him. I see him twice a year. And Faith is like, what? Yeah. And then, you know, her father, Anthony, comes up with the deal. So even though she's left the net, she still has her FSI powers. She can still make money for them. She can mm -hmm. make money for, you know, her new her new family, her clan. And she's and they, on the council. And yes, and she needs a way to be protected from Caleb. And from Caleb, we didn't really go, because there's not a whole bunch there, but one of the things that she was worried about, because a lot of people that kind of came up against Caleb disappeared. Oh yeah, they're, they're swept under the rug and they never are never seen again. Um, he is a, a menace and he gets, he gets the open seat on the council. So there's a little bit of dread there. We see that um, he was... He studied under uh, Enrique, who was yeah, our serial killer from book serial one. Mm -hmm. A lot of questions about Caleb. Um, but, you know, earlier when she was being uh, considered for the council, it's like, okay, it's me and Caleb. Well, Caleb's definitely going to kill me because that's how I'm <laughs> So I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> Aside from Vaughn and all the shifters, yeah, I don't want to die. And her father's like, yeah, you don't want to die. Don't do this. So we have him looming as a, an interesting um, antagonist. For future episodes 
And then we do have happy a happy and happy psychic ending for Faith because the net mind can still contact her. Yes, and that's really nice. And we we like this sort of toddler, sort of like a, a puppy, I guess. You know, if a puppy could communicate to you in images and look out for you. And it, the, the Web of Stars has its own nascent, nascent baby net mind. Whenever there's a network, there's going to be some kind of net mind. So that's, yeah, it's, it's laying groundwork for the future. It is a nice kind of bow on that. And, it, you know, we don't know where, where, where we're going to end up with it, but it's it kind of leaves you with that warm feeling at the end. I agree. And that's Visions of Heat, guys. Yes. Uh, it was such a good reread. Good to be back with the characters in the world. And yeah, I'm I'm really excited. So the, the next book, number three, is going to be Judd's book, right? Caressed mm -hmm. by Ice. And his heroine is Brenna. Who was the victim of, uh, the survivor of the first book. She was, yeah. you know, kidnapped and tortured and... Yeah, as much as, you know, we kind of leave with a warm hug, there's still a lot of murder and torture in these books. <laughs> and also, I haven't I haven't read the Rockstar books, but yeah, and I've read some of the, a good portion of the Angel books, which are really um, thriller-y. So yeah. Yeah, and then her thriller, she has contemporary thrillers. I read, thriller. I read one of them. It was great. Um, probably, I mean, it's about, I believe it's about a murder, but there wasn't necessarily that I recall all that on the page or the characters directly dealing with that but it was very suspenseful she's got a new one coming out very soon so I do like her thrillers I did read many of the angel books as well mm -hmm. I don't think I read the the rock star ones but she she likes that edge a little edginess in in there mm -hmm. and I think it's as long as it's balanced with all of the warmth and the family and the love and everything it it, it doesn't get really dark per se it gets a little bit dark I don't know would you say it's dark? I, I, I sometimes I just Their don't angels were it. dark. They were dark. Yeah. Okay. They were dark. <laughs> I'm a yeah. wimp too. Understand that I'm a wimp. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a dark romance reader. So it depends on your tolerance for, for darkness in your otherwise romantic books. Yeah. All right. Before we go, let's just share um, a few moments of everyday magic that's happened in our lives. Do you have any example of just like a, a tiny, you know, norm, normal to life, but magical thing that that happens? I, I think that I do. Uh, my nephew has been staying with me and he just transferred um, from school in Maryland um, to I'm in Virginia to um, the school that my my kids went to. And he's special needs, but he's 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 very verbal. And I always have to ask for hugs from him from from him. And I'm pulling up to the school and I'm hearing him saying, I'm going to be fine, Aunt Keish. I'm going to be, and he's like deep voice, his little tiny voice, <laughs> deep voice. Like, I'm going to be fine. And he gives me a hug from the back of the car. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Oh. It was just a great, it was a great piece of magic. Him, you know, getting over his fear, mm -hmm. obviously being afraid. And he, guys, he had the greatest day of school. I, oh, I, yay. Yeah. I feel proud. Like I, like I did something. Right. That's cool. I was like, no, I just pointed, like go to that one. <laughs> nice mm -hmm. so mine happened the other day i was taking a walk and there's paths where i live that go through the woods and there were a bunch of deer there were like five or six deer and they literally crossed right in front of me almost close enough to touch and i walked by and i was filming them and they were staring at me and i'm like oh my gosh it was just at first i was like wait, wait deer are herbivore because they were looking a little bit like why are you standing so close to us and i'm like you were st i was walking and <laughs> in front of my path sir <laughs> 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 
<laughs> but no, I walked past and they stared at me and they started eating the grass. And it was just like to be so close. And I, I love deer. I know that they can be destructive for yards and things, but they're so graceful and beautiful. And sometimes they're just be gathered outside my window and I just love looking at them. So mm-hmm. close enough to touch a deer. I wouldn't touch a deer because I don't know <laughs> what they've got going on. <laughs> but it was everyday magic. So that is um, magical. So what's going on? What should people know going on in Leslie world? Um, writing all the time. <laughs> when this comes out, you know, we're recording pretty far in advance. So this will probably be out in early December, I believe. And so NaNoWriMo will be over. Hopefully I will have a victory to share. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be doing a revision course in January, 2024. So check out net for information about that. Make sure you get on the newsletter if you are at all interested in uh, that course. I also have my imaginary world building course, which is self-paced. And then there's going to be um, a live cohort every now and then. So there's a live cohort in January also. And yeah, the best way to stay stay up to date about all these happenings. And if you want to listen to my other podcast um, is myimaginaryfriends.net. What about you, Inez? What's going on? That is awesome. I, as always, you can learn to write a binge-worthy novel in just 21 days with me. Um, If you want to take my patient or pacing course, which is at ineswrites.com forward slash PTP for patient or pacing. And if it's December, I will be opening up my four books a year course. You can find out the same information at that same link. But I... I have three pen names and each of them writes at least that many books a year. And I will show you how I do it. But not only that, this is going to be a mentorship. No, excuse me. This is going to be a mastermind course. I'm not, I, I suck at mentoring, uh, but I'm great at nagging. I'm fantastically organized and I'm the best cheerleader that you will ever have. You can ask Leslie for that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want uh, an, an organized nag who, to cheer you on, then four books a year is the course for you because not only will we be talking about writing, we will be talking about how to then also market those books as well so that you can be making some moolah in your pocket. Excellent. Sounds awesome. Thanks so much for joining us and let us know what you think. You can leave a comment on YouTube with your thoughts on the episode. You can also share it with a friend who loves romance. And please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can always check out our book schedule on our website, inkandmagic.net, so that you can read along with us. And we will see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye.